Welcome to Conversations in a Vintage Shop, a podcast from behind my counter between customers. Join me while I sit behind my retail counter and just have a conversation with you or with myself. While I look out the window, observe what I see, things that are happening in the store today, throughout the week, and just fun little stories that I have from my time as a business owner. This is something that you find interesting, and keep listening, and I appreciate you. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode four, season three of Conversations in a Vintage Shop a podcast that I record during business hours in my little vintage shop in Fargo, North Dakota. And today I'm really excited because I'm going to be talking about the archive. Now, what is that? What am I talking about? Why does it sound pretentious? Well, I'll explain. (laughs) But also to start off the episode, I realized I had notes written down about giving the update on the latest shop haunting. And I don't know, my brain has been a mess for the for months, I tell ya. Has anyone else felt like this year has smacked them in the face repeatedly? I, I feel beaten. But I had a note that I was going to talk about this latest haunting and I never did. At least, I don't think I did. I'm pretty sure I didn't. So, before I get into the archive, I'm going to give you my latest shop haunting update. That's something you want to hear. Stay tuned. Alright, so we have to go back a few months. Now, in my shop at night... It's winter, it gets darker out earlier, it's overall just creepier feeling. And those who listened in season one, and I think it was episode two, Ghost Stories, if you want to learn more about the history of the building that my business is located in, head on back over there and give it a listen. It's really interesting history and too long for me to rehash. But a few months ago, I had closed and... I was staying late for some reason. It was during the holidays, and I was staying late, I think, to organize something, unpack some shipments. I can't remember. But I went to use the communal bathrooms or public bathrooms in our building, and everybody has access to them, but you have to access them with a key. So I have to walk across the building down this long, dark hallway with no windows, to get to this bathroom and I get to the door and the door is locked. I unlock it. The lights are off in the bathroom. It's pitch black. I turn it on. Now one can assume that with the lights off, no one's in there. However, I have to preface this with there have been times I've gone to this bathroom and there's one window in the bathroom. So you get a little bit of the night light, but otherwise it's pretty dim or dark. But I've gone in there sometimes when people are in there with lights off (laughs) going to the bathroom. And I always found that strange because it's dark. You can't see. But I don't question people's bathroom habits. So when I walk in, I usually always expect there could be somebody in there. But this time it was pitch black and the door was locked. I thought nothing of it. So I locked the door behind me, turned the lights on, proceeded to go into... One of the one of only two stalls. Now I have I have bathroom anxiety. I've had it since I was a kid. I've never liked using public bathrooms. I have a very shy bladder. I don't like going to the bathroom in front of people. We could dive into why that is, but that's what therapy is for. But I just I don't like being in a bathroom with people. So I was sitting there and I was about to do my business. And I heard rustling in the stall next to me. And it sounded like, you know, feet moving. I'm trying to act it out on my chair, but you can't hear that. (laughs) But it sounded like someone's feet rustling. And I heard like paper 
like crinkling, you know, like toilet paper, like someone's moving around in the stall next to me. And it startled me. So I sat there waiting to go to the bathroom until this person was done and got up and left. Now, mind you, I was convinced no one was in that bathroom. And I couldn't remember, was the stall door shut when I walked by? I didn't pay attention. I just went into the bathroom. So I'm waiting for a couple minutes and I hear a little bit of rustling and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and don't judge me, but five minutes go by of me just sitting there and I don't hear anything. And I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe this person's waiting for me to get up and go. Maybe they have the same problem I have, but I don't hear anything. It's silent. You could hear a pin drop. So I just hesitantly look under the stall and I don't see anything. And then all of a sudden, I hear, (laughs) you guys, I swear this is true. (laughs) I swear. I heard someone peeing. I swear to you, I heard tinkling. (laughs) I heard the sound of someone going in the toilet. And I was like, I'm confused. It, there, so there has to be someone in there. Maybe I just didn't look under the stall far enough. So again, I wait. Another five minutes go by. I've been sitting in that, in that stall for 10 minutes. My anxiety is rising. I panic. I don't know what to do. And then it goes quiet again, and I don't hear anything else. So I get down, and I look under that stall. And I get out of my stall, and I push the door open, and there's nobody in the stall next to me. There's nobody in the bathroom. The door is still locked. And again, you can only get in with a key. So I'm standing there. At first, trying to figure out where'd the person go? I heard someone in there. I heard someone peeing. But there's nobody there. And then that quickly switches to, I want to get the fuck out of this bathroom. I'm creeped out. I don't care how bad I have to pee. I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm out. So I just quickly leave the bathroom. I shut the light off. I lock the door behind me. And you know, as a kid, if you're going, if you're in your basement or you're going up and down the stairs or going down a hallway and you feel like someone's following you. So you just get this sudden urge to just run as fast as you can and quickly like get to where you're going. That's how I felt. And I just bolted down the long hallway and back into my shop. And ever since then, I I can't use that bathroom at night because I'm freaked the hell out. And there was nobody. There was no one in the men's bathroom across the hall. There was nobody there. I was, because this was late at night, I was, I mean, other than tenants, I was the only other person in that building. And the first two floors are business floors. So I've had to just think about this and sit with this for a while. And you question, did I really hear what I thought I heard? I did. I know I did. So I I had to give this a name because I was describing it to some friends and family and people that come in the shop. And I've, I've coined this particular incident, the case of the phantom pisser. And I haven't ever figured out What happened after that? There's no leak in the bathroom. The toilet doesn't run. There's nothing that could have made these noises other than someone being in there. Someone or something. And I have heard these sounds since. Only one other time. And the second time was a month later when I really had to go. I really had to go to the bathroom. And it was late at night again. And I went. And the sounds weren't as severe. But I I did hear it. So that's my latest haunting update. Not something that happened directly in my shop, but in the general vicinity. And so I the only thing I can I can say for sure is that it doesn't make my bathroom anxiety any better. (laughs) Because now I have to worry about is there something in that stall next to me that's going to make noises that are going to creep me out? I don't know what's worse, having an actual person in there or a spirit. I don't know. 
but I really do think I might have to start doing like ghost hunting in my shop or in this building or in the bathroom. I gave my niece dowsing rods for Christmas last year, and I've been really itching to have her bring them so I can use them here. <laughs> if anybody's up for that, let me know. Maybe maybe that can be an entire podcast episode based on the haunting of the phantom pisser. But that's my haunting update. I spent almost 10 minutes talking about this, but it freaked me out. And I'd love your thoughts. But now let's get, let's get into the meat of this podcast and talk about the archive. Anyone who knows me or has listened to this podcast knows how much of a vintage enthusiast I am. With as with many vintage lovers, We all start collecting at a very young age, and I was no different. And over the years, I've amassed this collection of all sorts of amazing treasures and pieces in tons of different categories. And throughout the years, I've always gone into my office, or my storage and looked at certain pieces like garments or jewelry or headpieces and wished that more people could see them other than just me. And the heartbreak of a lot of beautiful vintage is sometimes people never get to see it. It stays shut and locked away, which is where the idea for the archive came from. So what is the archive? What does that mean, and what the heck does it have to do with my vintage shop? So I created the archive as a way to catalog and keep track of a lot of the different collections that I've amassed over the decades. I have so many amazing, unique pieces that have historical context and fantastical stories behind them. And I've always been sad that I can't share enough of that with people, whether it be in-store, online, in-person. And I thought, well, there has to be a way for me to bring these pieces to you without you having to actually physically come in my store or me bringing you back into our storage and archive area. That's where the idea of the archive really was born. As a way for me to share my love of vintage and my appreciation for the artistry behind it to all of you who care and are passionate about it as well. Now, when I started collecting, I usually buy just things that spark something. You see it and you have this innate need to have it. Whether it be a two-piece gold lame mini dress and matching coat, or a vintage overwire bustier, an antique headdress, I mean, you name it. There are some pieces that they just inspire you so much that you have to have them. And that's where a lot of my collections start. Now, way, way back when Instagram first started, and it wasn't as ad-focused or Facebook meta-centric as it is now, and was just a place where you could share things, share pictures, and meet people and find people in those communities, I had started an Instagram, and I think it was called... Because my current personal one is Hot Tramp Vintage, because that was what my Etsy shop was called in 2012. But I had one earlier than that, but I can't remember what the name of it was. But I would share some of my latest vintage finds. And over the years, I had the amazing pleasure of meeting vintage lovers and enthusiasts from all over the world. And we all had a place to show all of our collections. 
if I had a question about something, well, I post it and someone I follow who follows me is going to have information on it that I can carry with me and pass on. And at that time, growing up in Fargo, North Dakota, I just wanted to see beautiful things, beautiful clothing, beautiful accessories. I loved at the Metropolitan Museum of Art that they had a costume collection where you can see the greats. You have Dior, Charles James, Vivian Westwood. And I remember being there for an exhibition that they had featuring some amazing pieces from Vivian Westwood and walking through it and thinking, gosh, when am I ever going to see anything like this again? Why is it I have to go to New York City to be able to see beautiful things? And then I go back home to North Dakota and there's nothing. And that was really my biggest inspiration, was giving that opportunity for people to see amazing artistry in garments and accessories and fashion in person from a little shop in North Dakota. I mean, North Dakota, we're not, we're not known for our forward thinking in any sense, especially in fashion. <laughs> so that was where, you know, growing up and going to different cities, studying abroad and being able to see how it was being done and how fashion was appreciated and all of these other places, combined with this emerging platform of Instagram and social media, I use that as my way to catalog and document a lot of pieces so that I can go back and look say, oh, hey, that's when I bought this piece or, oh, I got this piece from this person and here's a comment they left explaining the history and significance behind it. Throughout the years, using, in particular, Instagram, I was able to build a really nice community of like-minded vintage lovers. And I got my fix. I, was, I took pictures of myself in some of my favorite vintage gowns and lingerie and headdresses. And I met so many amazing people and so many amazing sellers but then all of a sudden with Instagram, there's a big shift. And whether you have a business account on Instagram, a personal account, we've all seen it. Where if you don't pay for ads, more than likely your posts don't get seen. And sometimes it's even just hard for you to see people that you actually follow. So I felt like I no longer had that platform to share my love and enthusiasm with my pieces because the people that I wanted it to reach weren't seeing it. And a lot of people I looked up to and had good camaraderie and relations with ended up leaving the platform altogether. So I found this big void in my life where I had no one to share in my excitement. And the archive is my way of bringing that back again, but on my own terms where it's not ruled by an algorithm or ads or another platform. It's dictated by me. And I can get this to people that appreciate it and want to see my thought process when I'm collecting pieces, want to learn information if they have a piece like one I have and are looking for years, makers, dates. They have a resource to go to and someone that they can have a conversation with. So when I had this idea for the archive, I wanted to put it into a little bit of a practice here at the shop, just to test the waters to see if anybody really even cared about any of these pieces that I wanted to show. So I started my little mini museum here inside my shop, and it's a tiny little cabinet that Every quarter, I change out with different themes. Last quarter, it was You Are Your Own Creation, where I put on display piece, some of my favorite pieces from my vintage cosmetics collection, along with little info cards explaining this 1950s human hair set of blue false lashes, how 
the false lashes were invented, some of the sordid lore behind them. And I got a good response from it. So in this past quarter, I did a display on some of my favorite pieces from my vintage lingerie collection. And while not everybody's bursting down the door to see this, again, it's a very niche concept. There have been people that stop and look at the cabinet and actually read about these pieces. And if I can even just get two people to do that, it's worth it because it shows that people are interested in where their clothes come from. How was the bra created? What's the history of eyeshadow? Anything vintage. So I started with that little idea and have now expanded it onto a blog. So we have a WordPress site and if you try to remember to put it in the link in the bio. And it's called The Archive. And over the past couple of months, whenever I get a spare moment, I photograph some of my favorite pieces, a little bit of the history behind them, and I catalog them on this WordPress site. And it's going to take me a long time to get everything up there. I don't even know if it's physically possible. (laughs) But I started noticing more people interacting with it on WordPress, people that I'd never met before from all over the world. And it just kept giving me that feeling again of the early days of Instagram that, okay, I'm, I'm slowly finding my, my people. I'm slowly finding people that appreciate these and want to see my collection and want to hear my stories that I have behind them and some of the information I found out. So that's really, I mean, that's the basis of the archive. It's nothing pretentious, nothing complex. It's just my way of showing people what makes me excited and why I'm passionate about vintage and why I wanted to start this shop. I love the conversations that surround vintage and and garments and, and why what we're wearing today has been so heavily influenced by these beautiful things of the past and how everything comes back again. I mean, look at the 1950s overwire bustier. Those hit really popularity again in the 80s when you had artists like Madonna and Cyndi Lauper wearing them as their everyday wear in stage costumes. Heck, Madonna, for her Blonde Ambition tour, had Jean-Paul Gaultier create all of her wardrobe for her Blonde Ambition tour, and they were all modeled after vintage lingerie, and they're beautiful. And so these things are always coming back. But why? Why should you care? What makes it important? And that is one of my goals with the archive, is to explore that more. And to give people more information about why it's so important to know where all of these things come from. Because some stories aren't necessarily great. And those are also the ones you need to learn. For example, in the display I did of all of my vintage cosmetics and accessories, I had an example of a 1950s hairpiece. They're more like extensions. Not necessarily the extensions we think of today where you sew them in, you glue them in, whatever that process is. But this was all human hair, beautiful auburn color, and it was like a giant ponytail. And it was loose hair that a lot of women would use to fill in their updos, whether they wanted a beehive or chignon, or whatever the case may be, it gave them extra hair. And the thought behind this was very similar to in the Victorian era, when women would brush their hair, they would collect all of the hair that would come out when they brush, and they'd save it, and they'd make their own hair pieces out of it. It's really interesting. I've always thought about kind of doing a little project 
kind of showing what they did because it's an interesting way to use your own hair. But when I bought this hair piece, I th that was the first example I thought of. But when I dug deeper, I saw that there was much more of a sad and racially charged history between these hair pieces. Now you can go back to ancient Egyptian times when especially royalty and the pharaohs would shave off all of their body hair and they would wear wigs. And a lot of these wigs were made of real human hair. But throughout the centuries and throughout time periods, the way they got their hair was a lot of the time from slaves. And this has been a prominent thread throughout history, stretching from the Egyptian times even to our modern American history. And you always see that even in contemporary wig and extension businesses when something is 100% real virgin hair, the biggest question you have to ask, where did this hair come from? Is it someone who willingly donated their hair and got paid for it? Or is it a practice of imprisoning individuals and cutting their hair and selling it? So it's important to know how deep a lot of these practices and pieces that we incorporate into our everyday lives, that these have historical context in terms of issues that we are still seeing today. And I thought it was really interesting that something like a hair switch is so deeply embedded in our history and around the world that it's not just this thing that we use to make our hair beautiful, but it was used to oppress people as well and profit off of other people's pain and torment. Which is why it's all more important to know where these things come from. Not just hair extensions, but your garments, everything. These are conversations that need to be had and people need to educate themselves. Now, I have to say that one of the biggest things I wanted to talk about in this episode were my favorite pieces that I have in my archive. It's always the biggest joy. <laughs> and almost like I'm, I'm presenting my children. And pieces, I mean, my favorites tend to evolve and, and change here and there. But that just means I get more of a chance to talk about them. So I wrote down a few of my favorites that popped into my head right away. And one of them is a really new acquisition. And in a previous episode, I talked about an auction I was recently a part of with pieces from the collection of Doris Raymond, who owns an amazing vintage shop, The Way We Wore, in Los Angeles. And she was on a show on the Smithsonian channel called LA Frock Stars, which if you haven't seen it, oh my gosh, I love it. Oh, I've, I've seen every episode at least six or seven times. I absolutely love it. But she was auctioning off pieces from her archive and I just wanted something from her. I was lucky enough to win not one, but two pieces from her auction. One of them is this beautiful 1930s peach silk lingerie set. It's like a nice, beautiful pantsuit with a little jacket that goes over it. It's amazing. But the most important piece to me that I got was a mannequin that was used by designer Charles James. And for anybody who doesn't know who Charles James is, please Google him. He really put fashion on the map in terms of structure 
And he called himself himself an, an architect, which is exactly what he was. His pieces are legendary. Dior was inspired by Charles James. His new look collection was inspired by James. His pieces are in the Victorian Albert Museum, in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. They did a whole show and exhibit just with his gowns. They're fabulous, amazing. Ugh. Like nothing I can say will really put the point across of just how amazing this man was. But he started by opening his shop in 1939 and he ended up retiring in 1958. But in that span of time, he licensed his designs to Lord and Taylor, Bergdorf Goodman, Salvador Dali was a fan of his work, Cecil Beaton, Elizabeth Arden. I mean, the list goes on and on. He showed that fashion is art. But I was lucky enough to win one of his mannequins that he created some of these amazing pieces on. And it's a prized possession because you're touching history. You're around history. Like, this is where it all starts. Is this beat-up, old-looking mannequin. (laughs) And the greatness that came from it. So my goal with that is to eventually be able to have that on display along with representations of his work. I have these beautiful books showing his design process, his gowns, everything. And I would love for people to see this because when I originally graduated high school, my goal was to go into a fashion and design program. I knew how to sew. I'd always been drawing outfits and inspiration and trying to make my own things. But unfortunately, and you'll hear me say this all the time, in the city I lived in, fashion is not, it's not looked at very seriously. And our universities don't have a great program for it. And even to this day, I have some of my regular customers who I've seen graduate from high school and leave the state to get better opportunities in fashion and design. And it's heartbreaking because we're losing amazing, gifted, and talented minds because we are not giving them the opportunity to learn and flourish here. And North Dakota is not the only state that doesn't invest in liberal arts and creative education. There are a lot of states and universities that don't invest in that. But I couldn't go into the program at my chosen college. I also couldn't afford to go out of state. I could barely afford my tuition as it was. I worked three jobs to pay my way through college with an English and women and gender studies degree. So if I had gone anywhere out of state, I I could not financially afford it. So I changed course, but I always had this love of fashion and design. And to now have this piece from Charles James in my collection, it reminds me and puts me right back to when I was a kid and wondering if I'd ever be able to see anything like this in person. And I want to give that opportunity to as many people as I can, especially coming from where I come from. You can't afford to go somewhere to see these pieces while I have them here. And you don't have to travel. You don't have to be rich. You can see them in person. You can see them on my website. And it's really, it's been a goal to make this more accessible. And it's kind of a love letter to my my younger self of you were discouraged from going into that profession and you let what other people say prevent you from actually doing it. 
But don't be that voice to someone else. Be the person that tells them you can do it. You can make it happen. And this mannequin is just a representation of that. I may not be a designer. I may not design clothing. But I can collect pieces of history that can can connect us to those who made that dream come alive. So this one's a really special one to me. And on top of it, I got it from one of my idols. Like the grand dame of what I look up to in terms of how to run and operate a vintage shop. That's not just a retail store, but a community and experience and education. And especially working to preserve our fashion history. So that's my latest acquisition that is one of my favorites and will probably be a favorite forever. (laughs) Now, my next favorite is more of a group of items, not just a singular item. And that is my longstanding collection of vintage burlesque costumes. Now, I am not a burlesque performer, I missed my calling, but I love burlesque costumes because they are folk art. They're made by the performer themselves. And you see each of their personalities in all of their garments, their names written in, the way they stitched every jewel on, the little rip in in the seam on the hip. I mean, you see the life of the performer and the pieces that they made. And they're all one of a kind. You never see a duplicate. And anybody in burlesque knows that to hire someone to make like Dita Von T's level costumes is not feasible. (laughs) I mean, thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. And a lot of performers obviously don't have that so you make it yourself and these pieces again are a reminder of when you're that passionate about something and you have a vision you can make it happen and so I've been collecting these pieces for years and years and years and one of the pieces I have in my collection that it's not the most elaborate but I love the story behind it And several of these pieces are from Danielle Colby, who, if that name sounds familiar, she was on the hit show, American Pickers, Danny D, Danny Diesel, and she is a burlesque performer. And I had been following her on Instagram for a while, and I saw that she was moving and was selling off a bunch of her burlesque pieces that she didn't have any use for anymore. So I was able to get this vintage kind of fringe Hawaiian two-piece set. But then I also got this beautiful ice blue beaded, almost like cage-type bra with like these ca- beautiful cage shoulders with beading. And I, she told me that it was part of a project, that she had been restoring it. But as we all know too well, sometimes their projects you just have to let go of. So I messaged her. And I said I, was, I wanted it. And I got it. And I have a picture of myself wearing a vintage reproduction, icy blue, overwire bustier with this piece on top of it. And it came with these beautiful hand gauntlets, this feather boa. I just, ugh. When I first wore it, I drooled. I mean, it's stunning. Again, I need to get back into taking photos of these again because, oh, my heart. But these are pieces that need to be shown. And I, I can't stress this enough, just how important it is to have these pieces. Because again, the performer, 
this you have a piece of this person with you and all of their creativity is literally soaked into it <laughs> I mean there have been pieces that I've had other performers reach out asking if they could study the piece and utilize some of the techniques on their own costumes which I love because that's how these pieces keep surviving I have a 1950s rhinestone burlesque set came with this beautiful almost just like drippy and rhinestone skirt belts and rhinestone cage bra and it still has the original performer's body makeup in it and I haven't cleaned it because I feel like I'd be cleaning off the history of it now put that if you want to see that one one of my amazing friends modeled it and that is up on my WordPress site and again, if I forget to link that below, just go to my business's website, carmineandhayworth.com, and click on the tab, The Archive, and it'll bring you to my WordPress site. And then you'll get to see it in all of its glory. It's stunning. But I'll never, never let go of any of my burlesque pieces. They just mean so much to me, and I can't wait to eventually get all of those photographed and put up in the archive. They're beautiful. And again, the stories behind them are just truly one of a kind. Now, the final piece I'm going to share, now I have a lot of favorites, but these are just the ones I narrowed it down to. Otherwise, this episode would be three hours plus. Is an amazing gown from the 1950s and it's black glossy black satin with a train of red satin down the back and these beautiful aurora borealis rhinestones sewn in to the bust going all the way down to the hip now alone this dress is stunning it's museum quality it came in a museum great box. I got it from a very great collector that I had met on Instagram. But the cool thing about it is the story. Now, not only do I have the story, but I have a photograph of the original owner who the dress was made for wearing it. And this gown belonged to a woman named Sandra Cordell. Now that name doesn't sound familiar, and it was very hard. I'd find out a lot of this information about her through years of digging. But Sandra Cordell was an understudy for Carol Channing in the original Broadway production of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Now, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, we all know, if some of you don't, it's an amazing film. But it really hit its popularity when Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell starred in the film adaptation. But in the Broadway production, she was the understudy for the lead. Carol Channing is the role that Marilyn Monroe played in the film. So I thought, oh wow. So she has some Broadway history. And the photograph I got is actually a publicity still and wasn't just a headshot, like a this publicity photo of her wearing the gown and she would hand this in to producers as just like modern headshots today so she's wearing the gown beautiful coif blonde hair just stunning but upon further digging I wanted to know where her career went and the only other thing I could find out about her was this salacious little nugget it was a paragraph in, I don't even know what the book was. It was this excerpt from a book where she ended up getting hired as a singer and performer on a cruise ship in the late 50s, early 60s. And on this cruise ship, it had talked about how not only did she entertain with her musical abilities, but she was definitely a favorite because of all of her trysts with the gentlemen on the cruise ship. So it sounded like she was definitely a mover and a shaker. 
And so she was in the gossip columns for having all these affairs on these cruise ships when she would be entertaining on them. So this is a piece that whenever I do talks to local art groups or fashion groups, I always bring this dress. Because even though I I don't have a whole lot of information on her, even those two bits of information are enough. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine like wearing this beautiful gown, standing up on stage, crooning, belting out these you know, sensuous, steamy numbers, and then just having flings with all of these well-to-do men on a cruise ship in the late 50s, early 60s, back when it was really glamorous to be on these ships, and only the wealthy were on them. Really fascinating. I'm still doing research on her. I feel like every year a little bit more information comes out. But pieces like these, again, are ones that I want to share this with everybody. Everybody should be able to see these pieces and hear these stories. I mean, not only are they entertaining, but it really does give you a glimpse into the past and how not much has changed. What we wear is almost like our suit of armor. Whatever our intention is for that day, we dress for it. And I think that's the fun part. It's almost poetic. For anyone who wants me to dive a little bit deeper into a lot of my collections, head on over, little known fact, but during the COVID shutdown, when I couldn't work, couldn't do anything, I entertained myself by filming YouTube videos, just where I showed off all of my different collections. And one of my favorite videos is where I talked about some of my favorite lingerie pieces. Now, vintage lingerie is right now my biggest collection. I have everything from vintage shapewear, bustiers, bras, you name it. It's, again, one of my favorite things to I have a lot of favorite things to collect. But I love vintage lingerie. It goes back to when I was talking about Charles James. That sculptural element where it can just change the way a garment looks on you. Not by slimming you or changing your body shape necessarily, but giving you structure. I mean, anybody who knows modern lingerie, it's a struggle to find things that give support, that look good. Ugh, vintage lingerie is where it's at. I would wear it every day if I could. But... I care about them too much and don't want anything to happen to them. But I do have a YouTube channel where I talk about some of the history of my favorite pieces. I think it's Carmine and Hayworth Vintage on YouTube. I haven't updated it in a long time. Again, it was something I did during the pandemic just to keep myself busy. And I know a lot of you out there know it was a rough time. And, I, you know, you just need something to keep your your inspiration, your motivation up. And that channel was that for me. So if you're interested in that, head on over to that YouTube channel. I talk more about my collections there and I might be going, I might've gone over maybe some of my burlesque. I can't remember. It's been a while since I've looked at that channel, but I love talking about it. I love collecting and I love sharing what I collect with everybody else. So hopefully in the coming months, days, years, I'll have more updates on it. I do have a Patreon for the archive because everything nowadays takes money. It's capitalism. And unfortunately, grants for ideas like that are very hard to get. Because again, fashion is not always seen as a serious profession. Anything creative, you really have to fight for it. So if you're interested in looking at our Patreon, the link is on our website as well. But really just check out our archive. I don't have a whole lot of things up there. I think I have 16 items. It's a slow process, but I really love what we have up there so far. And that's going to continue to grow. But I wanted to share that with you today. It's something that I've been focusing a lot on. And it's nice to have something 
that inspires you that you can do aside from the everyday work and worries of life. <laughs> you need that inspiration to get you through the day. My One of my old therapists used to call it, you know, think about your bucket of oats at the end of a horse race, if you're that horse, which, I don't know, using that analogy of me being a horse, looking back on it now, kind of cringy, but the, the, the sentiment I get, you need that one thing, whether it be to get you through the week or the day that excites you and just can keep pulling you and give you that motivation to keep going when things get really tough. And the past couple years have been really tough, personally, professionally, talked in the first episode about some of the things personally me and my family have been dealing with, and that's only the tip of the iceberg. So it's really important to have something else, something outside of all of your worries that you can focus on, that escapism. Maybe it's ADHD. Maybe it's just pure inspiration. I don't know, but I'm going with it. (laughs) But I thank you again for sticking around on this episode. I don't know what next week's episode's going to be. I'm sure it's going to be good. (laughs) I'm just kind of doing this season by the seat of my pants. I'm not as highly structured as I was the other two seasons. It's just whatever inspires me is what I'm going to talk about. And if I have nothing that inspires me, then it'll be a bye week. Try not to force yourself to produce things when they're just not there. But if you have any questions about the archive, send me a message. Or interact with me on the WordPress site. Let me know what you think or what you want to see more of. I love the conversation surrounding these pieces. And I, I want to keep that going. But again, thank you so much for joining me on this episode and we'll see you next time. Bye.